0: Pray with me now if you would. Father, thank you so much for the way you work in our lives through so many different avenues, through so many different means. It gives testimony to the fact that you do in fact cause all things to work together for our good. Encourage us with that promise. Uh, Encourage us with the fact that the tomb is empty, that Jesus has ascended, that he's given good gifts to us, and that he's returning for us. That life, new life, eternal life, is something we can experience in the here and now, and yet we're waiting to step into the fullness of that and be glorified. We're grateful for the promise, we're grateful that as sure as Jesus has been raised, we will be too, and we're grateful for the fact that we we have a good message to proclaim to those around us, which is none other than Jesus himself and his perfect work. Encourage the saints today here at Omaha Bible Church with your word. Please uh, come alongside us with the power of the the Spirit of Christ so that we might learn, so that we might uh, feel convicted and encouraged and be motivated to live for the glory of Christ. In whose name we pray, amen. Well, for Omaha Bible Church uh, to be a faithful church, to be a biblical church, to do what we've been called to do as any local church would be, we need to be a gospel-promoting church. We need to make sure we remember that faith, saving faith in Christ, comes by hearing, according to Romans 10. And so we want to proclaim the good news about Jesus, His perfect work on behalf of everyone who would believe in Him. And we want to proclaim that as an, as an announcement, as, as good news to sinners. It's what it means to be a Christian for us. We've come to believe in Jesus. We've come to rest in Jesus as our substitute. That God won't hold our sins against us. And that God will give us new life in Him. Faith comes by hearing. And we've been called to proclaim the good news of salvation in Christ to the nations to everyone around us. We have to remember that if we're going to be a church that is a legitimate church, a biblical church, we have to tell sinners good news about Jesus, that all who come to him and trust in him will have everlasting life. We also, if we're going to be a faithful church, a biblical church, a church that honors Christ, we also have to be a church not only that promotes the gospel, we have to be a church that protects the gospel. As the saying goes, if we don't have the gospel protected, we won't have the gospel to be promoted. And so really, we're doing two things. It reminds me of the, of the newsletter that Charles Haddon Spurgeon used to be a part of years ago called the sword and the trowel. Okay. So we have to fight a battle with the sword in one hand, uh, sort of Joshua-esque. And we also have have to have the trowel in the other hand of the building, the positive, because we're called to this twofold duty. This is why I love the book of Titus, and we're doing a short study in the book of Titus. If you have a Bible, you can look there. Titus is really an evangelistic letter in this sense. It's calling a local church and the members of the local church and the pastoral leadership of the local church to be proclaiming the gospel in a rough place, Crete, okay? And so they're to proclaim the gospel to the believers, in, or excuse me, to the unbelievers, uh, to the Cretans, um, and they're to be preaching Christ because God saves through the proclamation of his word. And it's a call, it's a motivator to, to do this. You need to be doing this. This is good and this is right and, and it's good news you're proclaiming. But at the same time in Titus, there's a, another emphasis, the sword emphasis, if you will, not just the trowel emphasis, and that is on you must protect it. You must rebuke those, even who profess faith in Christ, who are busy listening to those who are lying about the gospel. So there's a positive side of ministry, there's a negative side of ministry, and it's so good for us. It reminds me of what uh, David Martin Lloyd-Jones said. How about lots of names? David Martin Lloyd-Jones. We usually say Lloyd-Jones. Uh, He was a a Welsh preacher from a couple of generations ago. I think he died in 1981, but he pastored in London, and he had a famous ministry, a famous ministry that was uh, evangelistic, a famous ministry that was... um, Known for expository preaching, for clarity, for conviction, uh, people would come by the bus loads to come and hear uh, the doctor, they called him, because he was a medical doctor, got converted, became a preacher, and, and Lloyd-Jones, if you've, if you've not listened to Lloyd-Jones, you should. What was my point? me. reminds me, it reminds me, um, it reminds me of what Lloyd-Jones said in a little book I read years ago called What is an Evangelical? a word that doesn't really mean much anymore, but what is an evangelical? Lloyd-Jones said that an evangelical is one who's known not only for what they're for, the risen Christ. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. They're known for what they're for. They're gospel promoters, but they're also, by necessity, known for what they're against. And his argument is, especially in an age then, not to mention now, where negativity is like the, the worst kind of sin, you can't really be for salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, and tolerate compromises of that. You, you can't say it's okay to believe salvation is by faithfulness. You can't say salvation is by what Christ does and what you do. You, you, you can't do that. It doesn't even make sense. And so he calls the church really to, in a sense... A positive ministry, but a ministry that also allows for and sees the vital place for some negativity. And so I think Titus is a great, great one there. I mean, some of us have been part of churches that are known for what they're against. I don't want Omaha Bible Church to be a church that is all about what we're against. We have to be so for the gospel and wanting to preach it that we have a ministry that also emphasizes we're against all those who try to compromise against it. It's good for us because we don't have much of an appetite for that kind of thing, right? Any, you know, negativity is like the worst thing of all. Um, niceness is the ultimate virtue. Um, we used to in America have a favorite verse. It was John three sixteen. Even if we didn't know what it, what, it, what it said, as Americans, we know John 3.16 because that's what they hold up at football games. But the most popular verse in the Bible now in America is judge not lest you be judged. Right? It really is. Which is true because Jesus says it. But he says it in a context where, in another sense, he calls people to judge. It's not an absolutized, if that's a word, statement. We shouldn't be judgmental people because we too will be judged. That's in essence of what Jesus is getting at. None of us are perfect. And yet, we'll see in our text, we hear it from the mouth of Jesus when he talks about wolves in sheep's clothing. Well, that, that demands judgment. Um, it demands evaluation. It demands, it demands criticism. And so let's just keep that in mind as we look at Titus because if we're going to be faithful to promoting the positive gospel, we have, to, we have to actually have some backbone and say, anything that opposes is actually wrong. Okay, so that brings us to Titus 1, where we are, and we're prayerfully considering this so that we would be a balanced, biblical, gospel-promoting, gospel-protecting church. And last time, we looked at the qualifications for pastors, the qualifications for elders or overseers, all refer to the same people, and it ends with a real punch, Look at the end. Look at verse nine, the end of that section. There's a real, kind of brace yourself, forceful kind of punch for our kind of appetites. Verse nine says he must hold firm the trustworthy word as taught. That would be the, the authentic gospel, as it as it is authentically explained. Hold forth or, or hold fast to that to to hold on to it, so that he may be able to give instruction. There's the positive. In sound doctrine and healthy doctrine, healthy teaching about Jesus is the meaning, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. It's a little bit of a startler, especially for 21st century uh, American ears. It's a qualification for a church leader, has to so know and hold on to the truth about Jesus that they can positively give instruction and also rebuke those who are saying otherwise. It's what we would expect in a pastor. It's what we would want in a pastor even though we've forgotten that. And now what we're going to see at the, the, the end of chapter 1 is kind of the rationale behind it. Why would we want a pastor who would ever say anything negative? Why would we want leaders who would ever say anything negative? Well, he's going to explain why. He's going to unpack why. And I really, again, am hoping and praying that it helps Omaha Bible Church to maybe do another week of ministry that might be faithful to Jesus, not to mention maybe a year, not to mention maybe longer. Help us, God, literally, to be so for the gospel that we would be against any compromises of it so we could still have the gospel to proclaim and we would want to be led like this. And so... Let's go ahead and look at verses 10 to 16 this morning with a context of why there's a negative. Beginning in verse 10, we're just going to work our way through it. He's giving the reasons for being negative, if you will, okay? I'm not going to give you a list of reasons, but really he's giving us the rationale for being negative. Verse 10, for there are many, not not a few, this isn't infrequent, this isn't fictitious. There are, so reality is, There are many who are insubordinate. Maybe put your finger there just for a second unless you're on a screen like I am and it'll mess everything up. So there are many who are insubordinate. So again, this isn't a fictitious problem. You know, it's kind of weird when there are armed guards involved when there's no security threat. It's just kind of like, this is overkill. He's saying, no, this isn't overkill. They need to be these kinds of people because there's a real problem. And the real problem is that there are those who are insubordinate I wanted you to put your finger there for a moment, because he, he uses the same word in the original language that he used to describe children who are not doing the right thing in their homes in verse six. There are many these professing teachers who are so mature. They're like children. Children who don't understand authority is what they're like. So it's an insult if we're reading it in the original language of sorts. Don't uphold these teachers as, oh, they're so mature, and we have to know all their secrets and know what they're knowing, and then we can become mature. Paul says to Titus, they're children. They're insubordinate. And think about this. In chapter 1, verse 1, Paul describes himself as a servant of God, One who is subordinate. Okay? Under God's authority. Paul's not in a place, and no Christian should be in a place, where they start making stuff up. Okay? Regarding who Jesus is, regarding what Jesus did, who God is, and what God expects. No, we're subordinate. We're servants of God. We're only allowed to tell the truth as what God has revealed. We're not to be like these false teachers who are creative insubordinate, coloring outside of the lines, that's part of defining a false teacher. It's fascinating what he's doing. Let's keep going. He describes them now as empty talkers. So they're, they're talkers. They talk a lot, right? They have the gift of gab. They, they, they might even quote a lot of Bible verses, and based upon other things he's going to say, I think they would quote a lot of Bible verses. Because you can make the Bible say anything out of context. Okay? Okay? And so they're they God talkers. They can talk a good talk about God. They can talk about Jesus. They can say all these things. They can give you some chapter and verse. But Paul says, they're empty talkers. Blah, 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 blah. Your opinion, your opinion, your opinion, your opinion. Insubordinate, 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 insubordinate. Not under God's authority, not under God's authority, not under God's authority. I think, I think, I think, I think. He's name-calling. It's kind of juicy. They're empty talkers. And deceivers. So they're lying in the name of truth-telling. Here's who God is. Lie, lie, lie. They're deceivers. Especially those of the circumcision party. That's interesting because... It's interesting because the Bible teaches people should be circumcised. See, they could, they could give chapter and verse. But even in the Old Testament, circumcision was never what made you right with God. Salvation was by grace alone, through faith alone, in the coming work of Christ alone. In the Old Testament, it wasn't by circumcision. But you could take verses out of context and be an empty talker hijacking God's word from its original intent. Not to mention then moving into the New Testament and now somehow telling Christians they have to be circumcised in order to be truly spiritual or truly right with God. And so it's a, it's a double whammy of wrongness. But again, Satan quotes the Bible with false teachers if they're good false teachers, kind of kind of, you know, oxymoronic, right? Bible verses. Circumcision. Do believe in Jesus and do and in principle you could say anything and then God will accept it. Salvation is by faithfulness. Well that sounds right. Because faith is good. Well, but the Bible teaches salvation is by faith. And only by faith, it's resting, trusting in Jesus, his faithfulness, not ours. There's a huge difference. So Paul is just letting them have it. Because apparently what's going on, we have to read between the lines, the Christians in Crete were, were liking some of this stuff. It would be like some of you liking some of this kind of stuff. I'm way too nice to stand up here and rebuke, so I'm not going to do that. Wink, wink, you know. But the idea is, and he's going to say this, he's going to say, stop. They're empty talkers. They're deceivers. There are many of them, but this, this is a problem. But there are many of them. There always will be until the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. They were knocking at my door this week at my house, giving literature. Come to a meeting, blogging, tweeting, publishing. What you listen to, maybe what your friends listening to, listen to maybe people you care about listen to, people you're evangelizing listen to. There are many of them. So we, as church leaders, but also as a church, share in the responsibility of having a promoting positive ministry but also a negative one we have to if we're going to have something to promote there are many of these let's go on to verse 11 they must be silenced one scholar says it it should be translated with the word necessary it is necessary that they be silenced. They, they have to be silenced. You, you, you can't just ignore them, church. You can't just say, you know, let bygones be bygones and let well enough alone, judge not lest you be judged, out of context. They, 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 they must be silenced. This is why I like to call it, it's the silence treatment. It's not the silent treatment where we're not going to say anything. It's the silence treatment. You're going to take the truth and bring the truth to bear and say, this is what the Bible really says. That Jesus said it is finished. His work is done. It's complete. The just for the unjust. It's not salvation by faithfulness. It's salvation by faith and faith alone because it's salvation in Christ alone. So you need to shut your mouth. And in effect, really, I'm shutting it for you. Because I'm silencing you with the truth of the gospel. Harsh? Yeah. But in effect, they end up being, they're spiritual terrorists. Posing as something they're not. It's lying. It's bad. It's wrong. It's a must for the faithful pastor and a must for the faithful church. But it's not only a must because it's so wrong. It's a must because of the effect and so look at verse 11. Since they are upsetting whole families. I mean, notice what, what the, the rationale Paul's using is, you can't just sit and do nothing, Titus, because they'll like you better on the, you know, the, the city council or whatever you might be interested in doing. That's fine to do that. But first and foremost, if you're a pastor, you've got to do something. You have to say something. Because if you don't say anything, look what's happening. Not only are they lying, they're upsetting whole families. I mean, you need to have a ministry to families. And it probably isn't the kind of ministry you might have thought up on your own. The ministry you're going to have to families is in your church, Titus, among other things, is to gag the false teachers. That's that's an important one. You know, so the next time you hear someone visit Omaha Bible Church and say, you say, why are you here? I'm here for my family. Awesome! Awesome! Because our pastor calls false teachers false teachers. You'll love it. <laughs> if we really care, right? Otherwise, we're going to have a divided family. This, these people in your family are going to listen to this, and these are going to listen to this, and the wife is listening to this, husband is listening to this, and all of a sudden, there's all this tension and conflict. Titus has to make sure he proclaims the sound teaching, the healthy teaching, so everybody can be on board with it. And by the way, part of promoting the sound teaching is saying these guys are the bad guys. That's unifying. It's divisive. Okay, here are the bad ones, and here are the good ones. Yeah, you're dividing. But that dividing is actually what helps unite. So believers can say, oh, we're in this together. I mean, I, just to rabbit trail a little bit, I hope when my children move off to other places and, and they go to other churches, I hope they have decent enough pastors to be able to say, this is what the gospel is, let me keep reminding you. And these people over here, you shouldn't listen to because they're gospel detractors. So that we can have nice Christmases. Right? I don't want a jacked up Christmas. I want to have some nice holidays together where we all come together, we're all different, yes. We can all come together and it's not all about the heretic that's being embraced. Because I'll tell you what, it'll mess up Christmas. <laughs> you get the idea though. Sometimes we've bought the lie that says if you say anything negative, you're the big, mean, ugly, divisive person. Well, it shouldn't be that way amongst God's people at least. Now it's true, we could go off on another rabbit trail and Jesus talked about the gospel dividing families and that's, that's a whole other ball of wax. But people who believe the gospel shouldn't have to be divided. We just have to make sure we call wolves wolves. And then we actually could be united. It's fascinating to me. The relevance of It's fascinating. Notice in verse 11 again, since they're upsetting whole families, so we we have to do something. By teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. So whether it's money or power or prestige, fame, fortune, don't know for sure, but it's shameful. And they teach what they ought not to teach. Again, notice that Christianity, authentic, genuine Christianity, has a place for ought and ought not. They're teaching what they ought not. He's calling a wolf a wolf. There are certain things that ought not be said regarding Jesus if there are certain things that ought be said. It's pretty pretty clear, right? Now Paul quotes extra, uh, an extra-biblical source, which is always interesting. Verse 12. One of the Cretans, remember Titus is pastoring in Crete. These elders, pastors, overseers are to be at the local church in Crete. One of the Cretans. I always think of that Ramones song, the Cretan hop. Anybody else like the Ramones? <laughs> One, two, three, four, Cretans want to hop some more? Four, five, six, seven, all good Cretans go to heaven. It has nothing to do with the island of Crete. But anyway, pop culture, man. It's bad. Cretans are bad. All good Cretans go to heaven, but there are no good Cretans. See, I I redeemed culture. It's amazing. The Ramones, back when rebellion was where you tore your jeans. (laughs) Okay. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own. So they have prophets, false prophets. Bad guys have prophets. One of the, a prophet of their own said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts or wild dangerous animals, lazy gluttons. And Paul says, this testimony is true. <laughs> it's awesome, right? There, there's, there's so many stop clocks that are right twice a day. There's so many truisms in the world. Say, oh, I'll quote one of your prophets. You want to quote extra biblical revelation as authoritative? I'll chime in. All cretans are bad, liars, dangerous animals, lazy gluttons. Wow. Name calling at its best. They're not the extra godly ones like they would be professing, they're extra ungodly by, reputa- by reputation. And so he says, now, so he says in verse 13, therefore rebuke them sharply. There's a little bit of a grammar issue going on here to try to figure out, are you to rebuke the false teachers sharply? We could, we could argue that, that would be true. Or is he now shifting gears in saying rebuke the Cretans, specifically the Cretan believers sharply? As in, tell the Cretan believers to stop listening to them. And based upon the flow and where it's going, I'm going to go for the latter. Maybe wrong, but I'm in good company. It seems like based on where he's going to go, though you could rebuke the false teacher, he's now telling the Cretans, he's to tell the Cretans and the Cretans in his congregation first and foremost, stop! Stop sending those people money. Stop buying their books. Stop reading their stuff. Stop listening to their sermons. This is just insane. It's crazy. They're wrong on the gospel, so why are you looking to them for their other stuff? And Paul's going to argue if they're wrong on that, they're wrong on everything because they come from a wrong foundation. And that would be applicable for me to say, stop, what are you thinking? Stop listening to those guys and gals, those sola fide deniers. Gospel by faith, salvation by faith alone is what I mean, deniers. They're dangerous animals. They're just lazy gluttons. Okay, here's the desired outcome. It's positive, okay? I promise. Verse 13 then says, that they may be sound in the faith. That's what I made all bold and highlighted. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to reach a positive outcome, that they would be sound in the faith. Like Jude says, the faith that's once and for all been delivered to the saints, not with creativity, the one that's under submission. That they may be sound in it. The idea is, we might say that's a sound argument or a... Yeah, but the idea is healthy. That they would be healthy. Isn't that our goal? Isn't that what we're trying to do? Isn't that what we want as a church? We want unbelievers to come to know Jesus by believing in the gospel so that they would be spiritually healthy. But then we want believers to grow and to become more and more spiritually healthy. We want people to be sound in the faith. Healthy in the faith. The faith that's regarding Jesus and his perfect work. But part of having people be sound, healthy, mature is not listening to those who say they're mature but tell new things that aren't true. The way to get people to be sound, mature in the faith, notice the objectivity of it, the faith along the way involves rebuking. Being sound in the faith is not tied to other things. Notice what it's not tied to in verse 14. Not devoting themselves. Ah, devote. You, he, that's interesting. You're, you're controlled by what you're devoted to. Not devoting themselves. We're, controlled by, we we're We're devoted to the faith. We're devoted to the gospel. It controls us because it comes from God. They're devoting themselves to themselves. Devoting themselves to something else. So it controls them. Not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. That's like the faith in verse 13. If the gospel controls you, there's a soundness there. There's There's a health there. The gospel controls us in what we promote, what we believe, what we're willing to fight about. Not like false teachers. What controls them? What are they devoted to? Some kind of Jewish myth, probably related to some kind of Jewish uh, genealogy. Well, the teachings of human beings, men and women, So. what what they're devoted to. It's what leads them. i got to find out what she says about this, that, and the other thing. Otherwise, I can't really be settled in my spiritual life. What? It's crazy. Why are you so devoted to her? Why are you so, de- so devoted to him? It doesn't make sense. You can't, you can't be sound in the faith. Maybe just super super quick on this. A couple of texts to cross-reference to Matthew 15:9. Jesus says, "In vain do they worship me." Sounds like he's judging. Um, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And there, it's like extra laws, extra food laws, adding to. If you're really super spiritual, you're going to do this. We know it's not in the Bible, but higher standard kind of stuff. Those people aren't sound in the faith. They're unsound in the faith. But we're like so gullible, we think they're the sound ones. Or how about 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 5? That's the cross-reference to this. I'm going to go ahead and read it. You can go there if you'd like. 1 Timothy chapter 4 will will get your attention. Why don't you go ahead and turn there if you would. We want to be sound in the faith. We want other people to be sound in the faith. And that means they're not going to be devoted to human creativity in the name of God. They're going for the once and for all delivered to the saints faith, like Jude would talk about, as delivered, as explained. So if you don't think Titus kind of hits home with where you live your life in Omaha, Nebraska, 1 Timothy 4 should. Here's why we have to have a positive gospel-promoting ministry and a gospel-protecting ministry that has a negative flavor to it. Verse verse 1, chapter 4 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. Okay, so this this is outside of the realm of Christianity. They might claim to be Christians, but they're actually departing from the faith. How? How? By devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. You think, man, whatever these guys and gals do is super, duper, duper, duper bad. Verse 3. Who forbid marriage. Context would be in the name of higher spirituality. Read a vow of celibacy. If you're really going to be spiritual. And you're really going to be a good spiritual leader. Well, I'm above any kind of lower debased passions. I'm not going to have any kind of marriage. No sexual relationship in marriage. And require abstinence from foods if you're really spiritual, you're going to go without certain foods to show your devotion to God. That's a pretty good one at Lent time. Huh. Why? Well, here's why. That God created to be received with thanksgiving. You're calling bad good. Or you're calling good, bad, I mean. That God created to be received with thanksgiving. That those who believe and know the truth. I know that I know that I know that I know that God accepts me and is pleased with me, not because of me, not because of food, no food, marriage, no marriage. God is totally accepting of me, entirely accepting of me, not based upon anything I do because I've already blown it with my sin, but based upon the substitute Based upon the just for the unjust. The one who died in our place, in our stead, on our behalf. Christ who is our righteousness. he, he it's, It has everything to do with the gospel. And as soon as I fudge on that, even in the the, the smallest amount, and say, God is going to be more pleased if... You, t- you totally don't get the gospel. Even with my high-pitched voice. <laughs> I mean... you're you, you, you just showed your cards that you don't get it. And that's what he's getting at. If you get the gospel, you know that you know that you know that you know that God accepts us. We have, how about this, we have peace with God. Therefore, having been justified, it's done. You've been declared righteous. We have peace with God. It's a a current possession. No more conflict. Read Romans 8, read Romans 5. It's, It's totally taken care of. And then we can tell people that. The good news is, Jesus died for sinners and rose again from the dead, having done all the right things. And if you trust in Him, God accepts you and will never hold any of your sins against you. He poured out His wrath on His Son. This is good news to us. He was raised from the dead. New life. These are just basic gospel things. But as soon as then, I go down the road of saying, I must, in order for God to... That's not sound in the faith. That's unsound. That's based upon the teachings of human beings and mythology. And that sounds mean-spirited, but it's not at all. Because I so want people to understand the gospel. Because whatever they're believing... If it's faithfulness, I don't get it. I know they don't get it. Everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Now let's go back to our text. Verse 15 says, To the pure, all things are pure. That's just like a great axiom, great truth statement. To the pure, and the context clearly is to the pure in Christ. Okay? You've been made pure. You've been cleansed, washed by the blood of the Lamb. White as snow. You're pure in Christ. And to you, if you're in Christ, all things are pure. Food? Food? put it in front of me and I can eat it if I want to <laughs> there's, there's nothing inherently bad now I can use it wrongly we would want to look at other texts Paul gave qualifications for leaders they're not supposed to act any way they want to act but nothing is inherently bad in and of itself to the pure all things are pure but to the defiled, how about that? To the defiled and unbelieving, okay? He's really he's defining those terms uh, together. To the defiled, spiritually unclean and unbelieving, because by the way, if you're unbelieving, you are defiled because you're still in your sin. You haven't been cleansed by Christ, and so to the bu- unbelieving, to the defiled, to the dirty one spiritually, nothing is pure. And that's true too. That's right, because everything you touch, everything that you do is tainted with sin because you're a sinner. Then he says, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. So they they think wrongly about things and stuff and actions. And then that affects their conscience, their their, their built-in alarm system that tells them what's right and wrong. So they're totally confused. They need Jesus. They need the gospel. They don't need more lack of certain kinds of food on Fridays or whatever it might be. They don't have the right reference. They They need the gospel. They need you to fight for the gospel so there is a gospel that they can have, so they're not defiled anymore, so they can become spiritually clean. So then everything is clean. Am I making any sense? I'm just like way too excited about it. It changes everything. But if you haven't experienced the change that comes from believing in the gospel... It changes nothing, and it's no wonder, let me use the, 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 the effective word, it's no wonder you are such a sucker, because your mind is messed up, so you don't have a point of reference that the gospel gives, and that messes up your conscience, and so you are a sucker for a bad argument. I mean, we're religious people, we're made to be worshipers, and then we're broken in sin? And man, we'll follow anything and everything. And if it's do more, try harder, man, all the better. In one sense, this is such a bummer. Just a bunch of people enslaved. In another sense, I want to come over here and say, church, this is why we have to promote the positive gospel. It's also why we have to fight to protect it. Isn't it interesting that back at the beginning, Paul says he does all things for the sake of the elect in this letter. It comes back to that for us. Sword and trowel. It's such a bummer when people, I'm just like, you're so confused. Let me help you. And sometimes they're so confused. I tell them the gospel and they say, yeah, that, that's true. I, I, I would believe that. Then I explain why you can't do the extra stuff to make yourself more acceptable by God and and they're like they don't get it they still have to do the extra stuff it's kind of depressing and it's kind of motivating isn't it great that in Christ you're pure so now you can see God's good creation for what it is you say God's creation is good I'm not going to make up any laws that say it's bad say it's good could be misused that would be bad you know the old saying it's flawed if you do not believe in something you will fall for anything it's not quite right right but it's on to something. If you don't believe in something, you'll fall for anything. And I'm just going to borrow it and use it here and say, if you don't stand for and believe the gospel, you'll fall for anything. And we are learning a theological reason why. It's our true north. Okay, how about verse 16? They profess to know God. And in my political correct mind, I want to go, oh, then, that, then it's okay. We're in this together. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They do lots of empty talking, lots of God talk, right? Lots of spiritual talk. But because they also add the extra stuff, you, we know that they don't know God. We know that they don't know the gospel. And again, that's totally judging. But if you don't know they have a problem, then why why would you ever try to help them? That's such a fascinating one. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. By saying faith plus something equals salvation. Then notice, man, you might want to duck for this one. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit, or disqualified for any good work. <laughs> Whoa! I don't believe I would have said that. I'm really glad the Apostle Paul did by the power of the Spirit. Probably in this context, they're doing all the God talk and. Pat, you need to do lots of good works. Well, maybe some of them are from the Bible, and we can use Bible verses, but then we have some extra things. And if you do these things, you can be like me. I know God. I'm close to God. I'm extra spiritual. And I'm a have, and you're a have-not. So, so you just do these good things. You do these extra good things. Be more faithful. Do this, do that, do this, do that. And then God is going to accept you. And Paul seems to be using their own kind of verbiage the people who are calling for good works for God to accept you, and he says, they don't do a single good work. Wow. Zing. That's what that does. None of the works they do are good. The ones that keep telling you you have to do good works and believe in Jesus and God will accept you, they've never done a good work in their life. They're defiled. Huh. Wow. Purposeful irony. Got quotes here. I'm going to skip. Maybe we'll... we'll Just notice this. I almost said one more thing and I'd be lying. Um, Do notice detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. That's if you don't believe in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, Christ alone. That's the evaluator. And that's a pretty tough one. We want to remember that. Because we tend to esteem the people who look good on the outside. The guru kind. Monastic life. They're the extra godly ones. Vows. Extra biblical vows. And he's saying detestable, no good, unfit. You're like, man. But it's because they're robbing Christ from the sufficiency of His work. The good news. The good news is not do more, try harder. The good news is Jesus has been raised from the dead. Think about all the sins we do. Sheesh. Poured out. Wrath of God poured out upon the Son, satisfied. To then say, I've got to do more for God to accept me is to say, wrath not satisfied. Okay, final thing. You want to close your Bibles for a story? I know full well, and I feel weird and awkward being the mean, harsh, nasty guy because I like to be liked. And I know it doesn't settle well in our stomach sometimes. And and to be honest, I kind of want to be uncomfortable because I don't want to be the guy who's against everything and not for anything. I don't want to be the wild-eyed fundamentalist who's always angry. But this is not just making a mountain out of a molehill. There are many false teachers. And so we're really called to be on guard and to do battle. Okay? There's a real danger. So for a shepherd, it's not warning about wolves when there are no wolves. That's just dumb. It's not a hypothetical. Okay? There are real dangers, there are real security issues, and so we really need to be protected. It reminds me of a year ago going to Jordan. Going to Jordan and crossing over the border in the Middle East where there were current terrorist threats against American tourists. I'm glad we didn't know till that night when they told us not to leave our hotel, please. And it was on the news. I don't need to go back to Jordan, by the way. <laughs> I've done Raiders of the Lost Ark. I've been there seen, there, seen it, done it. There we are, and what do we have on our bus? There's maybe 20 of us on the bus. Not a huge big group. 20 Americans on the bus. And what do we have? We have a Jordanian policeman, armed, 24-7. At both of our hotels, staying in rooms right next to our rooms, on the bus, on the tour, all the walking tour, everywhere everywhere we went, Jordanian policemen carrying. Do you think anybody on that bus complained that it was overkill? Nobody complained. We liked that Muslim. We liked him a lot. Because he was there to protect us. He was there to protect us because the threat was seen as viable and real. I liked him a lot. I think I bought him coffee. If there's no threat, you don't need an armed policeman sleeping next to you in the hotel room. Come on, it's ridiculous. If there are no spiritual terrorists, the Bible says there are many. If there are none, then this is a bunch of overkill. This is just dumb. But it's not overkill. And the consequences, the stakes, are way higher. And so the word is good for us. It's applicable, it's real, it's relevant. So let's do our part as a church for the gospel. It's awesome, good news. We're not angry about it. We're happy. But there's a place for the negative so that there can be the positive. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the fact that he is our high priest, the one and only high priest that we need, that he constantly lives as the resurrected, ascended Savior for us. And that he claims us as his own. And that he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. That your word tells us we can have assurance of salvation because of him. And may we have a winsome and joyful spirit and attitude as we tell other sinners about what it means to be forgiven. And may we also have an appropriate and fitting harshness when it comes to rebuking those who contradict all for the glory of Christ, all for the honor of Him and for the good of your church. In the Lord Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.